the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You know what I love? I love when we get really notable people yeah. on, on our show. And it invariably goes to an embarrassing story about you. <laughs> well, okay. buckle in because I got a couple of them today. <laughs> I, I'll tease it to you this way. First of all, our guest is Bob Stroud, uh, Radio Hall of Fame, one of the one of the greatest uh, rock and roll disc jockeys of all time. He's our guest today. Um, and I have a story about something that happened in his bathroom. <laughs> and and uh, I have a story of the day I filled in for him and what it took for me to be able to fill in for him. That story's going to come up. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll talk about all sorts of other stuff. Uh, but Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview is up next. But first, listen to this other fine Opie show. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to free kicks with adam and rick and that's on the radio misfits podcast network free kicks a tony lasano podcast an opi show on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com the following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Hey, Dave. Joining us on the show today, we've got... Uh, this is this is great. We've got one of the greatest rock and roll disc jockeys of all time. He's been on the air in Chicago. How many years, Bob? Oh, 43, but who's counting? <laughs> 43 years. He's been nominated the last two years for entry into the Radio Hall of Fame. He's just stepped aside from his full-time duties at the drive in Chicago to, to begin. What, what are we calling this, a semi-retirement? Yes, I'm driving a semi on the side <laughs> and uh, doing a little radio. Here. 22 yeah. minutes after 6 o'clock, I got your skids in the back. Right. <laughs> it's, it's my old friend from our days working together at The Loop in the 80s and the early 90s. Please welcome to the show, Bob Stroud. Pleasure to be here. You know, Bob, I, I want to start at the beginning of your time here in Chicago because, uh, first of all, you're a great storyteller, but one of, your, one of my favorite stories that you tell is the advice that you got from your boss in Florida about well, what it was going to be like to come to the big time and then what it really was like when you got to the big time. You mind telling that yeah. story? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Um, <laughs> so I got in touch with the guy who owned the radio station that I had my first job at uh, in Sarasota, Florida. I had gone on to another station at the time, so I reached back to this guy and asked him about coming to Chicago and what was his advice. He said, well, the first thing I'd do is get a haircut and clean yourself up. You know, you're going to the big time here, Bob. This isn't Sarasota now. Clean it up. Buy a new set of clothes. Get a haircut. So I went over and got a haircut, and then I went to Moss Brothers, the big department store in Florida at the time, and bought a whole new set of Calvin Klein clothes and looked like something out of GQ, stepped off the airplane here in Chicago, and here's a couple of greasy, long-haired, satin jacket-wearing radio thugs waiting for me. And I'm like, uh-oh. Well, and that was, uh, what's, that was WMET, right? Yeah. 
uh, tell the story of what the boss man was like at WMET because I I worked for him later. Yep, I loved Harvey Perlman. Yeah. I didn't love him at first, right? Because I had to, I had to get to know him. But I ended up loving Har- Harvey Perlman. I worked for him a couple of times, once in Chicago, and once in Philadelphia at WYSP. But uh, he was brash. He was loudmouthed. Uh, he was difficult to, well, I say he's difficult to read, but you could read that he was brash and loudmouth. Oh, yeah, very, um, very easily. <laughs> yeah, but the, the one, I have many great stories about Harvey, but the first great story I have about Harvey is I was introduced to him the first day I got there, and I knew I should probably just keep my distance and, you know, everything would be good. Well, the next morning, so my second day on the job, I'm walking down the hallway, and what can I say on this podcast? Anything. 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 No okay. rules. All right. Okay. So I'm walking down the hallway, and here's Harvey Perlman coming at me, and I said, good morning, Mr. Perlman. He goes, fuck you, Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've known him a day, basically. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, man, my time here is going to be really short. <laughs> I went into the program director's office, Bob Coburn, and I repeated to him what happened. And he said to me, the next time you see Harvey, you just say, fuck you, Harvey, right back to him. Really? Yep. So like a day or two later, same scenario. I'm walking down a hallway. Here comes Harvey. Good morning, Mr. Perlman. Fuck you, Stroud. (laughs) Fuck you, Harvey. (laughs) He stops, looks at me, big smile on his face, puts his hand in. Put it there, Stroud. Put it there. <laughs> now, it would have been a better story if if they were just telling you to do that and then you ended up getting fired, right? I got a quick Harvey. have to fire this guy. Let's get rid of him this way. I'll tell you my quick Harvey story. When I first started working for Landecker at WJMK, Harvey was the boss there. And, uh, and they had this bit that they called me Rick the German boy and I would, I'd have yeah, to go on the air and have to tell stories in German and yeah. people thought that was funny. Well, he called me into his office after that first show. I had never met him, right? They All the time they were wooing me, they never introduced me to Harvey, which I think was a, probably a good yeah. idea. Um, so I get into the office and he goes, Hey, Rick, uh, hey, I just wanted to tell you something. I, you know, I, I wanted you to know that I don't hate Germans. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, I fucking hate Germans. If I ever hear another fucking German word on my fucking radio station, you're a dead man. If you sneeze, it's bless you. Not good. Uh, yeah. But that's the kind of guy he was. Everyone knew that if you wanted to talk to Harvey, you had to do it first thing in the morning because after lunch. He's pickled, right? Right. He, he, he had what he used to call two or three stupid suits, which was his name for martinis. Yeah, exactly. He used yeah. to walk around with a vodka bottle. I remember you told me that at one point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yelling, take no prisoners. That was when radio was radio. Just like That's they told right, you it was going to be when you were in Sarasota. Yeah, yeah. This is the big time, Bob. Bring yourself up. You know, I, I've, I love, well, love everything, but the Rock and Roll Roots show, I think, was just, I mean, I just really, really love that. Uh, can you tell us, well... And that's us. not going away, right? You're still going to continue to do uh, that show? Yeah, I just taped the last episode last night, or the next episode last night, yeah. So can you tell us, well, tell us the roots of the mm-hmm. Rock and Roll Roots show. See what I did there? I kind of yeah. used yeah. it. Yeah. yeah pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty slick. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> okay. Um, Do you still got those suits? Because you know, I could uh, I could use some of that Calvin Klein stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Roots uh, show had its uh, and it's what origins. now <clears throat> that that show started shortly after you started, right? I mean, it's been around been for a doing long time. It, I've been doing it 42 years now. Oh, wow. It's, Stupid, stupid suits. Um, that came from MET's general manager at the time, the guy who replaced Harvey Perlman, actually, a guy by the name of Bruce Holberg, who Metro Media brought in from Philadelphia. And uh, Bruce and I had in common our love for 60s Top 40 radio and Top 40 music. And we would just get together and, and talk about that kind of thing. And he said, you know... Uh, there was a guy in Philadelphia who used to do like this show and it was called Rock and Roll Roots. And he would just, you know, play like 60s music. And he said, we should do something like that here. So we decided, you know, what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. Actually, he decided because he was the boss. He mm -hmm. said, we're going to put it on Sunday mornings from 830 to 10 for an hour and a half. And you just go ahead and play what you feel are the kind of top 40, 60s, early 70s songs that we can get away with on a kick-ass radio station like WMET, who was, you know, ACDC and Scorpions heavy, that kind of thing. Right. So I did. And, you know, the first few weeks I got uh, phone calls from listeners who say, you know, things like, your mother teach you how to play music? What, what is this? You know? So I didn't hear a guitar um, solo in that one. Yeah, right. No drum solo? Yeah. Um, so... That, that's how it started, and it's morphed its way through s several different, uh, you know, ways of me presenting music. And uh, well, how many sta how many stations has it been on now? It's been on like three or four. Or well, uh, MET Loop AM One Thousand. That was my favorite station. It was on it. Yeah. Because at the time, AM One uh, AM One Thousand was a sports station and an all talk station and mitch rosen the program director loved the show and he said we're going to put it on on sundays whenever we have time for it <laughs> so sometimes it ran for 40 minutes sometimes it ran for three hours and anything in between they could squeeze it in in between you know sports shows or whatever yeah so yeah am 1000 it didn't run at ckg they wanted nothing to do with that uh cd 94.7 and the drive wasn't it also on xrt or am i remembering yes, that incorrectly I'm, I'm forgetting yeah that, yeah that was seven weeks oh okay <laughs> That's yeah seven weeks on xrt yeah you've been on every station it's hard to keep Just track about, yeah. Yeah. now the reason bob and i know each other is because uh i was producing Stephen gary's show when uh, bob was doing middays on the loop fm and it's hard to explain to people what a weird and crazy time that was because they're we were all in one hallway, the FM and the AM. Uh, Bob's on the on one end of the hall. Kevin Matthews is on, uh, who's also been on our show. He he was down the the hallway a little bit. Um, he also, by the way, nominated for the Radio mm -hmm. Hall of Fame this yep. year. But can you explain to people just how crazy it was during those times? Well, I I hate to use you know a term like uh, it, it was a zoo, man. It was yeah, a zoo. man. It was a morning zoo. zoo. Yeah, it's a, it's a all day zoo, all day zoo. <laughs> but you know, anybody and everybody would be in that radio station when you walked up 
and and went into work that day. Everybody from, you know, Steve Allen to Milton Berle <laughs> to Robert Plant to, you know, the Chicago Bears. I mean, just everybody yeah. from all walks of the entertainment spectrum was up in that radio station. Um, what's his name from? Uh, the Larry David Show. R Richard Lewis yeah. was uh, up there quite a bit. Uh, Jimmy Webb. Uh, did every rock star, you know, had to come to the loop. Uh, movie stars. It was crazy. Yeah. You know what what that uh, scene was like up there. And Kevin's show, uh, which was on at the same time as yours, was like a it just pure insanity. I mean, I mean, yeah. The, tell the story of the one day that the of the uh, when the bears came up there, that happened while you were there, right? Yeah, um, I think that was. I can't remember if it, it, well, Butthead was up there all the time. Yeah, Kevin, right. And um, it might have been McMichael and somebody else, but they just got it in their head that they were going to come up to the radio station. I can't remember if, if it was something that happened on air or they had decided before this, but they walked into the studio and they duct taped Kevin to the chair that he was the swivel chair. Yeah. They, they duct, they duct taped him to the chair. They duct taped his mouth and they wheeled him out into the hallway, the 37th floor of the Hancock, uh, opened the elevator and sent him downstairs and then uh, went downstairs with him and walked down Michigan Avenue <laughs> with him, I think. Just duct taped to a chair. <laughs> yeah, that was every day stuff like that yeah. was happening. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a wild time, which is why we look back on it so fondly. I mean, at the time, I remember thinking it was kind of crazy in a, uh, you know, I hope uh, I don't get arrested sort of way. Right, <laughs> but right. now looking back on it, I look back on it fondly. Yeah, I do too. I you know, we we played it sort of safe on our side of the hallway over there because we were just, you know, we were a music station. So, you know, we were just playing music and, you know, a rock star would come up or whatever. And it was all very normal and natural. But, you know, you stick your head out in the hall and somebody's being duct taped to a chair or, or you know, is, you know, Milton Burles. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you've well, you've got a great voice, radio voice, but you also got a great singing voice. So tell us, you know, you're an accomplished yeah. musician, yeah, from your orchestra days to the Crying Shames. Uh, tell us about, you know, some of the highlights of your singing. Career. Well, you know, before <laughs> I got into radio, I did theater, and so I spent seven years on the stage perfecting my uh, hamish ways yeah. and so what uh, were some of the it, great roles you did so let's uh, some of the roles that you were doing. oh on the stage okay. yeah. didn't you act with gavin mcleod once the uh I did. From the love boat, <laughs> the love boat guy <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i did uh about uh three years or so of dinner theater in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, where I was living at the time. My girlfriend and I moved from Kalamazoo, Michigan to Florida to get out of the cold. And we each had relatives down there. I had a grandmother, she had an uncle. And we just thought, well, they can help us out, you know, when we get there and we'll find jobs and, you know, we'll finally be out of the cold. And she found a job at a bank and I found a job in a dinner theater because I had been quite into theater uh, for the last three years or so of my life back then. So. Um, I started out just working tech in the theater, even though I had lots of acting experience. It was a, um, you had to have a, a, an equity card 
to be in a show there. So I had to get an equity card. And then I did uh, shows with Mickey Rooney, Gavin McLeod, oh Bill, Bill Daly of the Bob Newhart sure. show. Sure. Um, a bunch of other people. Um, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, Don Amici. Oh, I my ironed God. I, I wasn't in the show with him, but I ironed his shirts. Wow. wow. I mean, how many people are you going to talk to that ironed Don Amici's shirts <laughs> and for dinner theater? Come on. Now we know how to promote the interview. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's the blurb right yeah, there. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that, I mean, and then, then the crying shames are, they're a 60s icon, especially here in the Chicago area. They had Sugar and Spice. They had a couple of yeah. uh, pretty big hits. And pretty soon you become their lead singer. How did that happen? Well, when I was at MET and started Rock and Roll Roots, I got to know all of the old 60s Chicago bands because I would have them up for interviews. So I got to know the Shames, the New Colony Six, Jim Peterick, uh, the Buckinghams, everybody came up, uh, Gary Loizzo from the American Breed. And so I got to know them all. And I would see them at shows and, you know, we became friends and one day uh, while I was at the drive I got a call from Jim Pilster JC Hook yeah. of the Crying Shames and he says I got a question I want to ask you and I said you want to know if I'll be the new lead singer for the Crying Shames <laughs> and I was totally joking I <laughs> oh mean my I, gosh. It was, I didn't know anything you know and he's and there was a pause he goes did somebody tell you <laughs> did somebody get to you before me I said what do you mean he says yeah, I'm asking you if you'd like to be the new lead singer for the Crying Shames because the guy we got is leaving. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding? So um, I went and sat in with them one night and we sang through a bunch of songs and they all looked around and went, yeah, you're it. So. And how long did you do that? I mean, are you you're still doing it? I'm not doing it. I no. did it for four years from uh, 03, 04, 05, and 06. Okay. And uh, then I'd kind of had enough. And yeah. then I actually met the woman who would be my wife. And, you know, that. And then that all of fun a... ended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it. And that was a crying shame when you met her, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get it. I but get I it. Had, I had a blast, and um, it was it, it was a, a dream come true. I mean, people say that about you know their work and everything like that, but this really, I mean, as a kid growing up in Kalamazoo and listening to LS and CFL and knowing all those songs and having those forty fives yeah. and loving the Crying Shames, and one day I get to be their lead singer, that's a dream mm -hmm. come true. I yeah. mean, that's the only way I can put it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I, you know, I, I wanted to tell you a story uh, that I don't think I've ever told you before. I haven't confessed this to you, but it's one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me, and it happened in your condo. Would you like to hear it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Do this you really want to hear this? <laughs> this is a, yeah. In the late I, 80s. I, I've just broke out into cold. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you invited a bunch of us over there to the, watch the series finale of Twin Peaks. Do you remember that? Wow, I remember that, yeah. So during the first commercial break, I took the opportunity to use your restroom. <laughs> and I don't know if it's still like this or if you, you still live in the same place, but the inside of your bathroom door did not have a doorknob. 
Mm-hmm. It was like a, uh, it was like a trick or something, <laughs> and I'm not exactly a handy guy. And I could not figure out how to open the door, and so I was stuck in there. I was too embarrassed to call out for help. Plus, everybody was watching right. the show. I didn't want to break anything, so I spent the next 20 minutes trying to figure out how to get out of the damn bathroom. It's a doorknob, not a Rubik's yeah. cube. Well, I mean, I'm telling. Wasn't it a weird doorknob or something? I do look. I hope this makes you feel better, but myself and everybody else who went into that bathroom for the first time had that same issue. Oh, thank God. And and Mickey Rooney's still there, right? Wow. Okay. Um, Well, that does make me feel better because I was, I was flop sweating. I'm like, this is because tomorrow everyone's going to know that I got trapped in Bob's bathroom and Steve and Gary are going to rip me a new one. It's like, and I just was, my life was flashing before my eyes. And you were missing Twin Peaks. And I was missing Twin Peaks. Yeah. And the bean dip. I've had people in that bathroom pounding on the door screaming for help. Is this, is this a trick? Are you trying to you know, do something to me? What, you know, what? And, you know, it's, I don't know where that door mechanism came from. And yes, I'm still in the same condo. Yeah. Um, but have you replaced it? it? Like, do you still have the same? No, door? no. Oh, it's too that's much awesome. Fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's so simple. It's just, you just, push it in that's yeah. what she said and the door opens and well there's a warning to anyone who goes to visit bob yeah, right. ask yeah. for a little description before you a go into the bathroom, that's the right. bathroom door works. Yeah, okay. you know we, we touched a few minutes ago about all the rock stars that were hanging around at the you know at the at the radio stage of the loop you must have met a ton of your rock and roll idols are there any you know, the most memorable, maybe a disappointment. I love disappointment. We love disappointment. Uh, well, I, but yeah, most memorable or the, you know, the or least memorable, yeah, least memorable. Yep. Um, he didn't come up to the radio station, but I got a chance to speak with him two or three times. Uh, Paul McCartney. Oh, oh yeah, that uh, the, works. Yeah. The first time I met him was over at the uh what was that? What was the uh, hotel across the street from the Hancock? Right, not not the Westin, but the Ritz. The other way. Yeah, the Ritz. So yeah. he was he was over at the Ritz, uh, coming through on a promotional tour for "Give My Regards to Broad Street," the movie that he did. Oh wow! Back so... in '84, '85, something like that. And there was like a you know a little press gathering over there, and Gary Meyer and I were over there in a very you know small conference room. There maybe would have been. 15 of us in this room and he took questions and it was just, I pinched me. I can't believe I'm in this room with Paul McCartney. And then we got his autograph pictures taken, all that sort of stuff. And then, um, the first couple of years at the drive, uh, he did a, a concert out at the United center and I got to do a phoner with him. Uh, and his manager told me now, Paul doesn't like to end the interview. He thinks that sounds rude if he ends the interview. So you need to end the interview, and he's only got 10 minutes. And I said, okay. We must have talked 20 minutes, and uh, he didn't give off any, you know, sign of being, you know, pissed off or upset that I went over my 10-minute limit. He, limit. He, he couldn't have been nicer, more giving, funnier. It was just, it was such a thrill to talk to Paul McCartney 
uh, he was on, in a limo on his way out to the United Center to do a sound check or something. Yeah, so that's that, awesome. That was that. I mean, it's a beetle. What more can I say? Yeah. You know, that bastard gave me COVID a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, no. Uh, yeah. Dave went to too? see his show yeah, at the... Uh, at the, the MetLife in, in New Jersey. Uh, right. And uh, I got COVID. I'm saying I got COVID from him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In the upper balcony. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah, right. So, um, so what about, tell you, yeah, tell us a bad story. Oh, well, I, it's, the, the, it's the one I tell all the time. It's Chris Robinson of the Black Crows. Um, it was at the Loop, and the second album had just been released. And I was doing Middays, and he came up, and... Uh, the interview started okay and it quickly went downhill and he got attitude and uh, he became unlikable and uh, rude and I finally said something about okay this we're done this is we're through here and then he said uh, hey the next time this guy tries to tell you he knows something about rock and roll he's wearing a tie <laughs> wow yeah wow you know i and i i we i've met a lot of the same guys that you have my my theory on it is if somebody is a dick in a situation like that where Where they're promoting their yeah you're giving them them free time to promote their their new material if they're a dick in that kind of a situation imagine what they're like in everyday life right right well, yeah. you know, they, they, they got kicked off the tour with ZZ Top uh, early on because I, I think they were just dicks. Yeah. If it wasn't him, it was the whole band. So, uh, yeah, went with the territory, I think, no matter where he went. You know, the other thing, too, is that when you're just starting out and you're young and fresh and new and you, and you, you bang it right out of the box, you got a hot record, you tend to be full of yourself. Right. It's, you know, it's after you've made it and you understand how the game is played that you're a good, you're a good guy when you come into a radio station and, right. and give your interview and, and everything's fine. But, yeah. That's Sir Paul. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. If he can be a nice guy, you know what? Come on. It's, it's not that hard. Right. So as we record this, we don't know yet if you're going to be inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. If it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen, Bob, because uh, you deserve to be in there. You're one of the, the greatest disc jockeys of all time. Um, but I know that you get uncomfortable when people say that to you. But you have your own idols. Who do, who do you put in your personal Radio Hall of Fame? Well, I have to mention two right off the top because the first one is the disc jockey that uh, sent me on the course that got got me to where I am, and that's Dick Biondi. Mm. It was just simply hearing Dick Biondi for the first time, and it's it's a it's a story I love to tell because it's so important in my life. Uh, sixth grade, September of 1962, the sixth grade just started, and a friend of mine in Kalamazoo uh, said, have you heard this disc jockey, Dick Biondi, on WLS? He's, he's crazy, man. He's just crazy. And I said, WLS? I, I never heard of that. And no, I don't know Dick Biondi. Well, the station's in Chicago, and he's on at night. You should listen. It's 890. And I went home that night, and I listened, and it changed my life. Wow. Uh, from, then, from that night on, I was crazy stupid for music i don't always like music and i liked the radio but i wasn't addicted to it but i was now addicted to radio and i was addicted to music on the radio 
and that has lasted until this day. Wow. So that was the night my life changed. And then the other guy I always mention because I just thought he was brilliant was Ron Britton. Yeah. And I, I just, I there was nobody like him, nobody at all like him. A theater of the mind, funny guy. Um, I, I when I met him the first time when I was a production director at MET. It had to have been 80, 81. I, it was like meeting a Beatle for me. I mean, yeah. I was just so nervous and, you know, so shy and afraid to speak because I just had so much respect for this guy and everything he did back in those glory days of CFL, you know, 67 to 70. So, yeah, he was, you and, know, he is and, also uh, John Landecker's idol. Yeah. Yeah. He. That's, well, uh, I, I think, you know, you understand how difficult uh, you know to pull that stuff off and have it come off so wonderful which he always did I mean, yeah in in 60 just, second bit bursts you know yes. what i mean uh, yeah. to, to, to just ad lib and he was clearly ad libbing <laughs> you hear yeah. that clearly ad libbing and just you know it was as you mentioned theater of the mind if people can yeah. you can find it on youtube you can find <clears> some of his old air checks on youtube i highly recommend it yeah Absolutely. So, yeah. and, and I mean, there's a lot more. There, I mean, you know, everybody I worked with is a hero to me, from Bobby Scafish to Johnny and Kevin and, and, and everybody. I learned something from everybody I worked with. So I'm just a lucky guy to work with such talented people. What did you learn from Rick? <laughs> yeah. Rick, Rick Kemper? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how to not tell German stories. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, one of my biggest thrills, Bob, was filling in for you once. I actually... Because I was an FM jock too, I would do overnights. And one when Rick Bayless started as our program director, oh, man. one yeah. day you had to be out, and I can tell you exactly why. Because it was Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> and so of course, and you know but, nobody wants to work Thanksgiving Day. He well, calls Germans me up. don't. Okay. Germans don't celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Not, we have nothing to be thankful for. <laughs> um, and he said to me, "You get you get to be in for Bob Stroud." I was like. Wow. Yeah, uh, the only problem is it's Thanksgiving Day, yeah. you know, like right when all the football games are on <laughs> yeah, right. and, and like one person is listening. But still, right. I filled in for you hey, once. It's a, it's on your resume, man. It, that's right. Exactly. That's all that matters. So, you know, you've been, like we said, almost five decades, all these radio stations. But the drive, that's your that's your longest stint by far, isn't it? We are, yeah. Uh, what is it about that? I mean, I love the drive. Um what is it about this drive that was so special or that, you know, they've got such a wonderful loyal listenership, you know, what, what's the spiel with, with, with the drive? Well, props to Greg Salt because it was, it was his baby. It, it, it was his, his doing. And, um, he just sat us all down and said, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to approach this. It is truly going to be a radio station that's all about the music. Um, we are going to respect the music, and it's going to be music intensive. I mean, in in the beginning, for the first, I don't know, three, four years, five, I don't know, there were no promotions. Right. It was a radio station without promote. We didn't have a promotions department. Uh, we weren't going to be that station that sent jocks out to supermarkets and, and you know gas stations and whatever. It was going to be a very pure presentation, uh, respect and love for the music. And, you know, we played album sides and 
we did all kinds of unique programming and it wasn't a we weren't allowed rock radio station in the beginning because we were the loops uh sister at the time both owned by the same company right. so we couldn't we couldn't go up against the loop with you know the stuff they were playing which was much harder so we were we were softer and a little more eclectic and a little hipper than the loop was and you know the station eventually had to keep evolving in order to stay in the game but um there's just something about what we were in the beginning that has still runs through the DNA of the radio station. And that could be just as simple as we still use Nick Michaels, our original voice guy. Mm -hmm. We still use a lot of his drops. And sadly, he passed away you know, three or four years ago, but uh, we still use his material. And he's as much a part of the success of that radio station as any disc jockey or program director or whatever so so but you're still there right you're only semi-retiring um yep so what what are you still doing you're still doing rock and roll roots yep i'm doing all the special features i okay. did i'm doing tenant i'm voice tracking 10 at 10 i'm doing my 145 at 145 and doing roots and those three features because two of them are daily keeps me busy yeah that's true so it's not really yeah. like retiring but you can you can probably do them from your beach house in michigan if you have uh, an audio setup yeah. is that what you is that what you've always wanted to do is just kind of go to your beach house and just stay there or do you have some other plans uh i don't have any other plans i i, I haven't always wanted to just be at the beach house because that place is in the middle of Mayberry out there, and while it's fun to visit, I wouldn't want to live there. Okay. Um, but I do, I do like being there on the weekends and just getting away from everything. You know, I'm the kind of guy who has a better time being live on the air than I do having to tape something and do it. Yeah. There, there's something about being live that just um, you're, you're on your game. Right. When you know that you're taping something and you can fix it with an edit, it's not quite the same. Right. You know? Or you could be like us and we just don't fix anything. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> really, so you're going to be editing any of this. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It's, you're going to hear the That's entire too much time. Thing. You know, who needs that? Yeah. Well, you can now... Uh... There's plenty to edit. You're getting stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> that should go. Yeah. I don't know. That's our lead. <laughs> well, you can, okay. uh, you can reestablish yourself as a force in community theater. Now yes. 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 Have you thought about that? Going back to the theater? I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I did. I I thought in the back of my head, what if I just find some community theater and see if I still got it? Yeah. yeah. And you know. Hey, now you can play the dad thing. characters. You know the. <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> well, well. Not the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not the teenager. Young, young leading man. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Hold that thought. We have to take a break. Minutia Men Celebrity Interview will be right back. We are the hosts of Minutia Men. I'm Rick Kempfer. And I'm Dave Stern. I'm German. I'm Jewish. I have three sons. I have three daughters. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Sox fan. I have hair. Minutia Men and Opie Show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. We are back with more Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Well, Bob, this has been fun for us. Oh, uh, you know, we're, we're huge fans, and uh, uh, I have nothing but respect for you, and you are... You have always carried yourself with a tremendous amount of class and and kind of taught the youngsters um, how to behave. And I feel like we've learned so much from you. We'll never be able to repay you for it. So thank you for that. 
Well, Nor would we I'm repay saying. you for it. Not, we wouldn't pay <laughs> yeah, you anyway. Right. That was about the hollowest uh, <laughs> overture I've ever heard. Yeah, you're getting nothing With for no this. No financial <laughs> repayment, but you know what I'm saying. Spiritual repayment. <laughs> exactly, like a hearty part, pat on the back or a hearty handshake. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for being on the show. and uh, we anyway, wish Thank we... you for all your nice words and thoughts. I appreciate it. I have loved knowing you and working with you Aww. and uh, respecting all you do as well. Dave, I don't know you for sure. <laughs> um, I make sandwiches, Bob. That's what I do. Okay. I get drinks for the guys. Uh, thanks for being on, Bob, and wish all you right. the best. All right, man. Take thanks, it easy. Guys. See ya. You all too. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's the best. You know, really good guy and what a great radio. He should go on radio. He's got a great radio voice. Did you hear that? I love it. He took a shot at you at the end. That, <laughs> that, 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 just, that warms right. my right. heart. There's everything in this episode. An embarrassing story for you and an insult to me. So, perfect. It's, I can't ask for anything more. Uh, special thanks to our executive producer, Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opie is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. We're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. RadioMisfits.com. And we'll be back again soon with a brand new episode of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up?